Welcome to our weekly Catechism class. This lesson is a weekly look at the Heidelberg Catechism to help us to learn Christian doctrine with a warm and a practical application. Every lesson has an accompanying study guide. The web link to find that guide is in the episode notes. Now, let's start the class and learn the lessons. So welcome to our Catechism class. We've been looking at Lord's Day 15, question 39, and we've been dwelling upon this Lord's Day for quite a few weeks now, but there's a reason for that. It's concerned with the suffering of Christ, and all of our Christian faith and doctrine, all of our hope for eternity, centres on that suffering and death. Jesus died for sinners, and specifically, he died on a cross. And that's what this lesson is all about. Why the cross? Why not some other less brutal means of execution? Well, the Catechism will explain this for us. And it talks about how and why the cross assures us that the great curse of sin has been taken from us by Christ. A few weeks ago in Ballymacashan Church, I preached on Acts chapter 23 and verse 12. That verse says, And when it was day, certain of the Jews banded together, and bound themselves under a curse, saying that they would neither eat nor drink till they had killed Paul. In verse 14, just a couple of verses further down the text, When these Jews themselves spoke about this curse, they referred to it as a great curse. I had to stop and think about that. I've heard of wicked people cursing others, even of evildoers like Satanists, practitioners of magic and voodoo, who think they can place a curse on others, perhaps on their enemies. But why would anyone want to call down a curse upon themselves? Yet that's what those Jews did. It made me rethink that whole sermon. Because we, mankind, are also under a great curse. A curse that we have called down upon ourselves, a wicked and a dreadful curse, and one that we can't lift off ourselves. What's the answer? There's only one answer. That's the cross. I'm Bob McAvoy, and this is the Semper Reformata Podcast. So it's question 39, and our catechist asks us, does it have a special meaning that Christ was crucified and did not die in a different way? The answer we must give is, yes, thereby I am assured that he took upon himself the curse which lay on me, for a crucified one was cursed by God. So what is this curse that we are under? I thought it would be interesting and informative just to return to that passage in Acts that I was referring to earlier. In Acts chapter 23, Paul is in Jerusalem, 
and now, as a Roman citizen under arrest, but still technically innocent, he's on remand. Paul is in the Roman army barracks under guard, but he's being fed and protected from the Jews, and he has some privileges. Yet there are a number of fanatical Jews who hate him and who hate the gospel enough to want him dead. These were fanatics who would kill for the Jewish cause, for its religion at the same of national restoration and freedom from Roman rule. Perhaps there was even a converted zealot like them among the disciples of Jesus, Simon called Salotes. These people were so fanatical that they had placed themselves under a great curse. Acts chapter 23 says, And bound themselves under a curse, saying that they would neither eat nor drink till they had killed Paul. In verse 14, when these fanatics enlist the priests in their plot, they refer to the curse as being very, very great. It was a serious curse, a serious oath indeed. It involved a period of fasting until the curse had been fulfilled and Paul was dead. There are two indications of its seriousness. The word that's used for curse or vow here, it's the same word that Paul himself used when he wrote to the Galatians about people who preach a false gospel. Galatians chapter 1 and verse 8 to 9. But though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you, than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. That could literally be rendered, let him go to hell fire. The word anathema or anathema. The Amplified puts it like this. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to that which we originally preached to you, let him be condemned to destruction. So you can see right away that this is a very serious curse indeed. It's a curse that has dreadful consequences. Here's another indication of its seriousness, because the Talmud, those Jewish writings that interpreted the law for the Pharisees, stated that the punishment for breaking a vow like this is actually the death of one's children. And that's an indication of just how fanatical and determined these men were. Let me take you back to another similar curse, one sworn by the Jews who were outside Pilate's judgment hall at the time of Christ's crucifixion. In Matthew chapter 27 and verse 25, Then answered all the people and said, His blood be on us and on our children. That was a curse too. And like this other curse, it was a reaction to Christ, a reaction to the gospel and to the message of forgiveness in Christ through grace alone. Jesus had been before the Roman governor of Judea, Pontius Pilate. He had been mercilessly whipped, he'd been mocked, he'd been dressed in a purple robe and with a sharp, wicked crown of thorns on his head. And now he stands before the Jews and Pilate asks them, who will he release? Jesus or Barabbas? And they make their choice. They want Barabbas. So they're asked, what will I do then with Jesus? The answer comes back. Crucify him. 
when Pilate insists that they take the responsibility for the death of a man who has done absolutely nothing wrong, that's when they call down the curse upon themselves and upon their children. The essence of the curse is the willful rejection of God and his law and his means of salvation, his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. It's what we have done from Adam's day to this. Paul sums it up in Romans chapter 1 and verse 18. I'm going to read some of that passage for you. Romans 1, 18 down to verse 24. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God hath showed it unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because that when they knew God, they glorify him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man and to birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. Wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lusts of their own hearts to dishonour their own bodies between themselves. And that's the curse that we're under.
this is where we must pause and remember that we too are under this great curse, far greater even than the curse upon the heads of the Jews that day. Let's think about the curse that we're all under. It is a self-inflicted curse. We bear the curse of Adam, the curse of sin and guilt and condemnation. And like those Jews, we call that curse down upon ourselves, upon our own heads, by our rebellion and our willful rejection of God's law from the moment that we're conceived. We fall short of God's standards and requirements. We miss the mark. We break God's righteous law. So Galatians 3.10, For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, Cursed is every one that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. It's a self-inflicted curse. It's a weighty and dreadful curse. This curse is our anathema. It's even more awful than the curse that the Jews wrecked upon themselves. It will bind us into a lost and unending eternity. Now I want you today, because of what I'm going to say next, I want you to fully appreciate the weightiness and the horror of this self-inflicted curse. Listen to how Jesus, our loving Saviour, describes it in Mark chapter 9 and verse 44, where he talks about, in verse 44 to verse 48, where he talks about where the worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. He's talking about a lost eternity, the result of the curse. So it's a self-inflicted curse. And it's a weighty and a dreadful curse, and it's an inescapable curse. I'm told that the Jewish curse, binding and horrendous as it was, could nevertheless be escaped from. There was a get-out clause. If it became impossible to keep the vow, then the high priest could release you from your curse. But for the curse of sin and the curse of the law, there is no get-out clause. Someone had to bear the full burden of that curse. Someone had to pay the debt for the broken covenant. And it's not you and it's not me. We're unable to pay. And quite honestly, under the weight and burden of the curse, we are doomed to lost eternity. Now you can see our plight. We have by our natural birth this awful curse hanging over us. A curse that will eventually bring us down into the very pit of hell itself. But God's justice and his terrible anger with our sin is tempered always by his love and his mercy for sinners. That's why I wanted you to grasp the awfulness of the curse and the consequences of the curse so that we might be able to appreciate more fully what Jesus did for us When he died on the cross, he took our curse. Think of it. The anathema, the weight of our awful punishment was laid upon him and he bore it. Out of love for you and me, my eternal punishment was laid upon him. In question 39, the Heidelberg Catechism asks, does it have a special meaning that Christ was crucified and did not die in a different way? Yes, I am thereby assured that he took upon himself the curse which lay on me, for a crucified one was cursed by God. 
Turn in your Bible to Galatians 3 and verse 13, and I suggest that you underline the verse so that you can refer to it often. It says, Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. Here's the marvellous thing that God did for us at Calvary. God cursed his own son so that you and I would not have to suffer the consequences of our curse. Jesus bore the curse at Calvary for me. The 17th century Lutheran hymn writer Paul Gearhart wrote these lovely words. Extended on a cursed tree, besmeared with dust and sweat and blood, See there the King of glory, see, sinks and expires the Son of God. Who, who my Saviour this hath done? Who could thy sacred body wound? No guilt thy spotless heart hath known, no guile hath in thy lips been found. I, I alone have done the deed. Tis I thy sacred flesh have torn. My sins have caused thee, Lord, to bleed, pointed the nail and fixed the thorn. The burden for me to sustain, too great on thee my Lord was laid. To heal me thou hast borne my pain, to bless me thy accurse wast made. Okay, so that's all our catechism classes now until January, when we'll be recommencing with Lord's Day 16. We're going to be taking a short break, as our local church shifts focus slightly to remember and celebrate with gratitude the Incarnation, when God entered this world in the person of his Son to redeem mankind. Don't worry, there'll be plenty of additional content to fill the gap There'll be table talk or Tuesday evening discussions on the theology of the Christian life. There'll be acts in replay, recorded sermons from Temple Patrick Reformed Church, and there'll be some church history. So keep an eye on your podcast app. Don't miss these extra episodes. And until then, goodbye. God bless.